Well, hello again, everyone. As you know, Easter services always begin with greetings. I say, He is risen. And you say, He is risen indeed. Do you want to try that? He is risen. Was that as unsatisfying for you as it was for me? As much as we try to make the best of our situation, I think we need to keep reminding ourselves that this isn't normal. On the morning of Easter Sunday, there's normally a buzz in the room as we gather. People's clothes are a little fancier. The greetings are a little warmer. The singing is a little louder. And I'm missing that right now. I'm missing seeing everyone right now. And so there's grief mixed with my celebration of Easter this year. And so we call out to God and long to be reunited as a church family. The first Easter was also a mix of grief and celebration. Began at a graveside. Death lingered in the air. Tears were shed. But Jesus' resurrection transformed things. It spelled hope and power and victory to all who received it. And so we embrace all of that this morning. Now, I read this week of an incident in the life of Queen Victoria. She attended a service in St. Paul's Cathedral, and the message interested her greatly. Afterwards, she spoke with her chaplain about it, and she asked, Can one be absolutely sure in this life of eternal safety? She wanted to know whether a person could be certain where they stood with God and whether they would go to heaven. Her chaplain was like some ministers today, holding a religious office but with little real biblical conviction. He told her he didn't know how such certainty could be possible. Now, their exchange was published in the court news and came to the attention of a minister named John Townsend. He prayed about it and then he wrote to her the following note. To Her Gracious Majesty, our beloved Queen Victoria, from one of her most humble subjects, with trembling hands but heart-filled love, And because I know we can be absolutely sure now for our eternal life in the home that Jesus went to prepare, may I ask your most gracious majesty to read the following passages of scripture, John 3.16 and Romans 10.9-10. I sign myself your servant for Jesus' sake, John Townsend. Now two weeks later, he received the following letter. To John Townsend, I have carefully and prayerfully read the portions of Scripture referred to. I believe in the finished work of Christ for me, and trust by God's grace to meet you in that home of which he said, I go to prepare a place for you. Signed, Victoria Guelph. Now after this time in her life, it's said that she used to carry a small book to give away, and it was called Safety, Certainty, and Enjoyment she had come to embrace Easter faith. Today, I'd like to consider one of the two passages of Scripture that transformed Queen Victoria's understanding of the Christian message. And it would help if you had the passage open in front of you, so uh, why don't you hit pause at this point, grab a Bible, and open to Romans chapter 10, verse 5. I'll read from verses 5 to 13. Romans 10, verses 5 to 13. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. 
But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will descend? Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one confesses and is saved. Oh, sorry, for with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of God. Now, studying this passage this week, I think I understand why it made such an impact on Queen Victoria. Because it compares Easter faith with what I'll call heroic faith. And it shows that only Easter faith can save you. Let's start by considering Easter faith's greatest competitor and how God rejects heroic faith. Heroic faith is faith where I'm the hero and it's about what I've done to please God. We look to heroic faith all the time to bring us assurance. But the Bible says that God rejects it. I want to consider why. When Paul describes heroic faith, he uses some quotations from the Old Testament and some terminology that would have been more familiar to first century Jews than it is to most of us. So let me try and explain it to you. In verse 5, he talks about the righteousness that is based on the law and says, that the essence, essence of it is that the person who does the commands shall live by them. It's describing people who read the Ten Commandments and the Bible's teachings and concluded they're accepted by God because of their obedience. But God rejects that faith or hope because none, has faith, none of us has faithfully kept the commands of God. In our hearts, I think that we know that. But it's as if we think that God will grade us on a bell curve. As long as we can point to people who are worse than us, we assume that God won't give us a failing grade. But that's not how God works. God gave Adam and Eve one rule, and they broke it. He gave the Israelites ten rules, and they broke them. Then God added another 603 rules, and guess what happened? They broke them as well. And we're the same, same today. We break God's rules. We break each other's rules. We even break our own rules. And God's solution is to pardon us on a completely different basis. But the thing is, what we do is come up with a set of rules that we can keep and convince ourselves God must be pleased with us. Verse 3 describes it like this. Being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Now, establishing our own righteousness is what I'm calling heroic faith. Some people's version of righteousness is based on how inclusive they are, or how tolerant they are, how environmentally conscious they are, or how religious they are. Maybe it's how generous they are, or what great parents they are. They establish their own basis of righteousness, and then they judge other people by it. 
they become the hero of their own religion and they assume that God's smiling on them. This is what I call heroic faith and it's a rejection of God. It's an unwillingness to submit to his righteous righteousness, to his standard. Now to make this point further, Paul quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 30 where Moses says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven or who will descend into the abyss. He's addressing the tendency of the human heart to try and solve the problem of sin through heroic acts. We feel our distance from God and think, if we try hard enough, we can get to him. We want to climb a mountain and build another Tower of Babel. We'll go into space. We'll test the limits of science. But we want a way of meeting with God where our ego's intact, where we're still the hero of our own story. This is heroic faith and God rejects it because it's a rejection of him. And in verses 6 and 7, Paul then quotes Deuteronomy chapter 30 with Jesus inserted to show us the craziness of heroic faith thinking. Nobody can ascend to heaven to bring Jesus down or go into the depths to bring him up from the dead. The whole point of the Bible's message is what God did to draw near to us. It's a story of God's profound love for us and coming into our world, not in us heroically reaching him or finding him somehow. My version of heroic faith was thinking that if I worked hard and tried to be a good person, that God would be pleased with me and welcome me into heaven someday. But my heroic faith was a proud faith. It was a faith that denied and overlooked my sin. It was a faith that rejected God and my need for his mercy. Examine your heart for heroic faith because God rejects it. And it won't give you any of the safety or certainty or enjoyment that Queen Victoria came to know. Now, while God rejects heroic faith, he calls us to Easter faith. He wants us to embrace the message of Jesus' resurrection, to embrace the reality of Easter faith. In contrast to the idea that we reach God by what we do through our own standard of righteousness or finding him in a heroic search. Verse 8 says, The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. It's saying that God has put salvation on the bottom shelf. It's accessible to all of us now. Because Jesus has come near and because he has worked salvation for us, our response is simple, unheroic. We have everything we need in our heart and in our mouth. When we get to verse 9, it finally defines what Easter faith really is. It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now there's something that we believe and something that we confess. Let's start with what we believe. We're called to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, called to believe in the Easter miracle, and our salvation hinges on whether we do or not. Do you believe that Jesus, after having died on the cross, physically rose from the grave on the third day, that first Easter morning? This is essential to biblical faith. It's a non-negotiable. You have to believe it. Now, doesn't that strike you as odd that it would be so important to God that we believe this? Why does he care? 
What's so important about Easter? Faith rooted in Easter is particular. It's a response to God's specific revelation of himself. We don't get to make it up or fill in the blanks. It's also historical. It recognizes that God broke into history at a specific date and time. It's also miraculous. It recognizes that God has done something that humanly couldn't be done. And it's entirely the work of God. There's no heroic faith here. It's all about him. But most importantly, faith rooted in Easter understands the Christian message. Because the resurrection proved that what Jesus taught was true. That he holds power over eternal life and gives it to all who put their trust in him. If you don't believe in Jesus' resurrection, then you don't believe that he can resurrect you. Now, there are lots of people who reject Easter faith. Lots of religions that reject Easter faith. They can't accept the miracle of Jesus' resurrection. And so they ignore the only means of salvation that God has provided for us. Put your faith in the resurrected Jesus. He was raised from the dead to show you that he can raise you from the dead. Now, for most people hearing this message, believing in Easter is the easy part of verse 9. Many of you love Easter. You have traditions around Easter you look forward to. And you don't have any problem believing that Jesus rose from the grave. You enjoy hearing about it every year. But you may have missed the point of it. I'll read verse 9 again. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Easter is intended to convince you that Jesus is Lord. The word Lord is used over 600 times in the Old Testament to translate the personal name of God. And in fact, in one of those instances is quoted in our passage in verse 13 today. And so confessing that Jesus is Lord is acknowledging that Jesus is God. Without an event as remarkable as a resurrection, we'd be hesitant to do that. But Easter is a historical event with too much evidence to ignore. So when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying he is God come in human flesh. But there's more to the confession than that. Because in first century Rome, the same wording was usually used of the emperor. They would say, Caesar is Lord. And it was a statement of his absolute authority. To declare that Jesus is Lord is to acknowledge he is your ultimate authority. He has the right to rule in your life. And this is where Easter faith shows the real weakness of heroic faith. If I'm the hero of my own faith, and it's about the good that I choose to do, then I'm still my own Lord. But if Jesus has done everything to accomplish a salvation that I receive as a free gift, then I owe him everything. He alone is Lord. He alone has the right to rule in my life. Now, in the early church, confessing Jesus as Lord was basic to someone's conversion. They would confess this at their baptism. In fact, baptism is another form of confession. But in the first century, they had the same problem that we have today. People like the believe Jesus in your heart part of Easter, that part of Easter faith. But they like that more than the confessing Jesus as Lord part. 
So for instance, John's gospel reports this. Many, even of the authorities, believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. They had the kind of faith in Jesus where they were still in control. The kind of faith that doesn't get lived out in hard, Jesus is Lord kind of decisions. But that's not true Easter faith. And that's not the kind of faith that saves you. We're not used to hearing chants of Caesar is Lord, and so the full impact of confessing Jesus is Lord can be hard to get our heads around. For me, the closest parallel is a driver's seat. I enjoy driving. I feel relaxed and comfortable when I drive. But one of the most terrifying experiences I've ever had in a vehicle is when I first gave my kids the keys, got in the passenger seat, and let them drive. Totally terrifying. I'm putting one of the most expensive things that I own in their hands. I'm putting my health in their hands. They're in charge of the destination, the route, and the speed, and I'm helpless. Now, I like my kids a lot, but I'd rather keep them in the passenger seat if at all possible. I just feel safer that way. And maybe that's where you are with Jesus. You really like him but you'd prefer to keep him, the, keep him in the passenger seat. You're not prepared to hand over control. You're not prepared really to confess him as Lord. You're not prepared to confess him through baptism either, maybe. You're not prepared to let him make the decisions. And if that's you, then you've only got half Easter faith and half faith can't save you. Easter is intended to convince you that you can trust Jesus as Lord. So examine your heart and your life to see, what you, to see that you've done that. Now, so far we've said God rejects heroic faith and calls us to Easter faith. But finally, let's consider what God does in response to that Easter faith, how he saves us through Easter faith. Let's consider the promise held out to those who believe in the resurrected Jesus and confess him as their Lord. God saves us through Easter faith. Now, there are many different words to descri describe God's response to Easter faith. The first is the word saved in verse 9. In verse 9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The promise is that you'll be saved. In verse 10, it says, With the mouth one confesses and is saved. And in verse 13, it says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The word save implies rescue from a desperate condition. If your child's having trouble with their homework, you help them. You don't save them. You save people who are drowning or dying. With Easter faith, what God saves us from is a terrible eternal punishment for sin. We're saved from the wrath of God through Easter faith. But we're not only saved through Easter faith, we're also justified. Verse 10 says, with the heart one believes and is justified. To justify someone is to declare them righteous, even though they're not. God counts us as righteous for Jesus' sake. He credits Jesus' righteousness to us. And so sinners who confess Jesus as Lord are considered saints in God's eyes. Now, in addition to saving us and justifying us, God bestows blessings on us through Easter faith. 
Verse 12 talks of Jesus bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Now, the riches aren't financial, obviously. This isn't like the COVID-19 bailout. But when we confess Jesus as Lord, God gives us divine resources for life. He gives grace and strength. He gives wisdom and direction. He gives power by the Holy Spirit who comes to abide within us. We're not alone. And we're not the same when we begin to call on Jesus. The final blessing that comes through Easter faith is what God is that God levels the playing field. Verse 11 makes the promise to everyone who believes. In verse 12, the riches we looked at are promised to all who call on him. In verse 13, the promise is that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And verse 12 says, there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. No one culture or ethnicity has an inside track with God. God says all have fallen short of his standard. So he receives everyone on equal terms. Heroic faith is always trying to put up walls between people who measure up and those who don't. With Easter faith, God tears down those walls. And so the message is anyone who puts their trust in the resurrected Jesus and confesses him as their Lord will be saved from God's wrath, counted as righteous, and given God's blessings. And it doesn't matter whether you're Queen Victoria or the Tiger King. With Easter faith, nobody approaches God from the penalty box. Nobody's slated for the B team. Nobody gets second class treatment. Now, as you know, the Titanic sank when it hit an iceberg on April 14, 1912. And you've probably heard that they were so confident that it was unsinkable, they didn't even have enough lifeboats for all the passengers. What you may not have heard is how few of the lifeboats were filled to capacity. The capacity of the lifeboats on the Titanic was over 1,100 people, but only 700 of the people boarded them. Only 700 people were saved. Afterwards, investigators tried to find out why so many lifeboats remained unfilled, and they discovered that there were three main reasons. First, many of the crew just didn't trust that the lifeboats were strong enough to lower the passengers at that capacity. Second, many passengers didn't feel that the problem was urgent enough. They figured they were safer on the unsinkable Titanic. And thirdly, only one of the unfilled boats went back in search of the survivors. The others were content to praise God that they were spared while they watched hundreds freezing in the open waters before them. The safety, certainty, and enjoyment that gripped Queen Victoria's heart when she embraced Easter faith is available for our world at a time when we need it the most. But the same obstacles that were there on the Titanic remain today. Some just won't trust in Jesus' power to save. Some don't feel that their situation is urgent enough. And some of those who do refuse to go in search of survivors. Let's seize the opportunity of Easter faith. Believe in the resurrected Jesus. Confess him as Lord and put him in the driver's seat of your life and share them with others. Our world needs rescuing now more than ever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the miracle of Easter. The miracle that Jesus 
rose from the grave on that third day to show that all who put their trust in him will rise one day as he did. Forgive us for clinging to heroic faith. Forgive us for trying to be the hero of our own religion. Help us to accept the salvation that you hold out. Help us to receive, help us to confess Jesus as our Lord, to put him in the driver's seat. And as we do, Father, give us the courage to share that message with others who desperately need it. For we ask you in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I hope that this message has stirred up Easter faith in you and pointed you to the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. For more messages of gospel hope, go to www.gracebc.ca. See you next time.